Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing. Amen. For us as a people, Easter resurrection is not the end. Easter resurrection is a promise and the way. And if you want to witness resurrection, at least for me, I found out, there is no place like New Orleans, Louisiana. (laughs) My husband Bill and I just returned this week from our Easter anniversary pilgrimage. We drove first to Montgomery where we stopped and ate lunch in a restaurant with no marquee or signage, but with sweet tea so sweet it made your heart skip a beat, and greens so delicious that you sang with gratitude. After our meal, we made our way into downtown to the Legacy Museum. If you have not had a chance to visit, please consider doing so. It is not to be missed. The Legacy Museum follows the movement from enslavement to mass incarceration and is situated on a site in Montgomery where enslaved people were once warehoused. The museum speaks in a powerful and undeniable way. In it, you hear the stories of black-bodied people who were and are enslaved then and now. And in that space, there are hundreds of jars of soil, soil collected from sites where black men and women and children were lynched, hung on trees to die painful deaths, often with thousands of white people there to witness the event as a form of entertainment. The soil is collected from those sites and placed in jars and then brought into a sacred space to make visible the only potential remains left, a burial site where none was possible before. The lynching memorial opened to the public last year in April, and it's the nation's first memorial dedicated to the legacy of enslaved black people and to black people murdered by lynching and to those thousands of people that have suffered the humiliation and destruction of our nation's policies and practices of domestic terrorism. Bill and I walked through the memorial under the large blocks of steel on which are engraved the known names of those that were murdered by lynching. The blocks hang from the ceiling over your head and the burden and intense weight of those blocks of steel become visceral the longer you are under them. And all the while, a calming stream of water flows down the memorial wall in front of you. The juxtaposition of the calming, streaming waters and the heavy weight of the large hanging steel overhead is profound and daunting. 
Bill and I sat for a while trying to let the weight settle on us, trying to connect to any sense of hope or justice in what we were encountering and what we believe about God and humanity. The next day, we packed up and we started on the second leg of our pilgrimage to New Orleans to Jazz Fest. I'd never been to New Orleans, and I had imagined Jazz Fest in my dreams many times. I was thrilled to be entering this cultural context of music and history and people that is certainly more but nothing less than iconic. When we arrived, we walked through the park known as Congo Square. In that park, slaves were given the only space they had to play music, to dance, to be within their cultural tradition. It is a beautiful space and yet it was void of people. Bill and I walked on from there into the French Quarter to Preservation Hall, a place that makes the claim to be about preserving traditional jazz. The room was packed with tourists, and the space and those in it felt heavy coming from Montgomery and through Congo Square. Again, I felt the juxtaposition of the history and the present moment. The next morning, we entered the festival scene for the 50th anniversary of Jazz Fest, along with 450,000 other people. The sun was so hot, and the music was loud, and the smells of creole and rue wafted through the air like an invitation to the best party on earth. At the festival, there are three main stages hosting the big names, the likes of Van Morrison, Bonnie Raitt, and Al Green. And then there are many smaller tents where others play, others whose names are less known, but whose skills rival the best in the world. Those tents are along the margins of the festival ground, and that's where Bill and I found ourselves pulled, and we made our way to one such tent, and we sat grateful for the shade and for the chair. Playing on that stage was a traditional second-line band, and they were playing with such force and vitality that the large crowd broke out in a second-line dance with their parasols waving and their hands waving in the air as if they had been called to that moment for their most beloved companion. But we sat in the midst of them, the horns and the laughter and the ecstatic movement lifting me above my own tiredness, and then as they began to play, when the saints come marching in, without any warning, I felt the sensation of hot tears streaming down my face. Uncontrollable and frankly unwelcomed, they flowed and tried as I may. I could not stop them. In that moment, I was overwhelmed with the tension of grief and hope, pain and beauty, death and rebirth that had been building in me and it was spilling out 
undetectable to the crowd around me, so swept up in their dance. And the words that came to me that filled my mind and opened my heart were patient endurance. The writer of the book of Revelation uses these words, patient endurance, seven times when writing to the early Jesus followers forming the new church. Patient endurance. Because these followers, generations after Jesus has been nailed to a wooden cross, were enduring persecution, murder, and mass incarceration. The state was attempting to pound them down under the pressure of empire. And this writer of Revelation was, with equal gravity, unleashing a prophetic vision to tell these persecuted people a different story. Now, some may say that this Revelation writer tells of only a violent world full of unimaginable horrors, that this writer's vision is anything but hopeful, And if you have read the entire book from front to end, you may also agree. And if you haven't, go do so. But like Zora Neale Hurston says, they seemed to be staring into the dark, but their eyes were watching God. This vision and revelation, while dark, mystical, horrifying in parts, and definitely difficult to grasp, is actually simply prophetic. This book of Revelation is what Dr. Otis Moss III, a theologian, author, and preacher, would call a book with a blues sensibility. Because like the blues and the music born out of it, jazz, hip-hop, rap, and gospel, this book of Revelation speaks in code The author of this book speaks in code because like these blues singers, to speak of the actual violence or to name the real oppressor is to even more so risk their lives. So they tell the story to their people in coded language, stories that can only be really completely understood if you are actually living them because their story must be told. To not tell their story is to die before their death. Patient endurance. The writer of Revelation sings this out to the people, endurance, because in the end, the writer tells us God wins. In the end, justice prevails, and the empire falls to God's grace and mercy. This prophetic work is also the function of the blues and jazz and gospel musicians. As Dr. Moss tells us, this prophetic work acknowledges the tragedy of reality without falling into despair. It sings in such a way that one can no longer distinguish between the gospel shout And the blues moan. No one can longer distinguish between the gospel shout and the blues moan. Likewise, in the book of Revelation, one cannot distinguish between the gospel shout and the blues moan. 
And the prophet shies away from neither, holds the tension between both, because both the moan and the shout are true in the truest sense of truth. Resurrection is not the end, it is the way. And this is what I witnessed in the musicians of New Orleans, and this is why the tears came to me so freely without warning. Not because I understood the coded language or could identify with the pain of the second-line players or the blues musicians, because as a white woman in this world, that knowledge isn't mine. But because in the indistinguishable space between their gospel shout and their blues moan, there rang so clearly the patient endurance necessary to witness true resurrection and sing it into being. The disciples in our gospel today on the beach after their rabbi has been murdered, they have decided to go back to fishing. All hope gone for the revolution he has promised. But then on the beach, there appears the same man serving them again a meal. At first, like Thomas, they refuse to recognize him so stuck in their hopelessness and fragility. But by the grace of God, they come to see. By the grace of God, they wake up to the fact that Jesus is still there with them and that the work must continue. Resurrection is not the end, it is the way. And these disciples are going to have to find within themselves patient endurance. Because in meeting Jesus on the shore, they awake to the fact that the work can and must continue and that they must do it. Like Simon Peter, I saw on my pilgrimage to Montgomery and New Orleans, Jesus on the shore. And he offered to me a meal of the gospel shout and the blues moan. In that second line, I witnessed the saints marching in, and I heard the call to continue in the dance, the invitation to the joy and resiliency found in patient endurance. We have a lot to learn from the evil of enslavement and the horrors of such terrorism as lynching, but we also have much to learn from the resiliency of the people and the cultures that survived it. Because truly, the fact that any people or culture survived is a miracle. Celebrating that resiliency does not mean diminishing the tragedy. Easter morning does not erase Good Friday. But having that blues sensibility in our work together, as Dr. Moss says, can rescue us from acceptance and dares us to move from the couch of apathy to the position of work. Celebrating the resiliency of survivors should lead us to build our own because resiliency is the foundation of resurrection. It is what allows us to see Jesus on the beach. Resiliency will equip us to see resurrection all around us, even in the midst of evil. Resurrection is the way, 
And the resiliency found in patient endurance will allow us and everything in us to sing and to move toward the work because God wins. This is the promise given to us in Scripture. Justice prevails But not if we stay on the couch of apathy, not if we remain so fragile, so hopeless that we cannot see resurrection all around us and hear it when it sings. Justice prevails when our own resiliency allows us to get up off the couch of apathy and get to the work that Jesus has given us to do. Because resurrection is the way And patient endurance is how we walk it, because God wins. Amen.